Father, this morning we come to you and we ask that um, that last song would just be true. That your Holy Spirit would meet us in a very powerful way. Uh, that your church would awake and arise to the calling that you've called us to. I pray where there our vision is narrow and mundane, Lord, that you'd breathe life into us, that you'd widen our vision and just kind of bring, a, bring the color of all of your kingdom and your gospel and your glory to our hearts this morning. We pray that the way that we've done things um, that you've called us to do would be preserved, Lord. And we pray that the word of God would go out in glory from this church, Lord, and in power day by day as we love, as we seek your face, as we surrender our hearts to your will. I'm praying for just the heartbeat of our church, that you would have us wholeheartedly, Lord. There wouldn't be any prejudice. There wouldn't be any uh, way that we've always done stuff that would keep us from doing what you'd have us to do from this day forward. And uh, Lord, we all ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and someone will bring one to you. Anybody need a Bible? Because we want to, ha- you know. All right, cool. So someone needs a Bible there in the middle? All right. <clears throat> We're going to get some more Pew Bibles here. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you're more than welcome to take them. It's not stealing. We want to put a sword in your hand for the battle. Acts chapter 11, you know, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. The gospel that Jesus died and he rose again from the grave on the third day. He died and he rose again on the third day. He didn't do what we do. We're born, we have kids, and we die. He rose again on the third day. He conquered death. And he has the keys to life in his hand. And he gives it to whom the Father chooses. And who does he choose? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Who is whoever? I think we're included in whoever, and I praise God for that. I praise God for that. John 3.16, right in your hearts. Those, those are the things that Jesus was talking to his disciples. These are the things that, well, he, at that night he was talking to Nicodemus, a, a Pharisee, a Jew, who was seeking the Lord, and he said that the gospel goes out to everyone. Now, later on in Matthew 28, Jesus is about to go ascend into heaven, and he gets his disciples together, and what does he say to him? Matthew 28, was it 18 through 22 or 18 through 20? Very important words. All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Now go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. You know, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, Right? Jesus tells the disciple to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. What does all mean? 
Are we in the all? Yeah. Is South Africa in the all? South America. How about Canadians? Just, no? Yeah, okay. No, of course. Sorry, my wife's... Never mind. Parents committee. I always like to pick on the Canadians and the French. Sorry about that. No. Of course. God, it's heartbeats. What about Palestinians? People in the Middle East. What does all mean? The gospel is to go to all people. God's heart beats for his creation. And he is hanging out with some Jews, and he's telling Jews, go into all the world. All the world. Do you think they got it? I don't think they did. I think they heard the words. But it's going to take 10 years, 12 years, 13 years, for the reality of what Jesus said, the heart of God to be developed in them. These people who walked with Jesus, who are filled with the Spirit, who love God, it's going to take them time to get over their nationalism, their prejudice, the boundaries that, are, that they've placed, that they enjoy. And remember Acts 1.8. This is, you know, hey, you're going to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, first in Jerusalem. Yay, we love Jerusalem. That's what we're comfortable with. That's the capital of everything we believe in. And then we want you to go to Samaria, to the half-breed Jews, the people who way back when intermarried with the pagans and developed the false worship system. So you're going to go to those people too. Oh, not so thrilled about that, Lord. And then you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Samaria, you know, the, I mean, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The people that you don't necessarily want to hang out with. The people that you can't relate with. The people who look different when you talk with different, with you have different backgrounds. All this type of stuff. The uttermost parts of the earth. Those people. You're going to be my witnesses, you bunch of Jews. Do you think they got it in Acts 1.8? And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They're born again, spirit-filled believers. Oh, how patient the Lord is with us. Oh, how patient and how loving and how he's a master teacher and how he's long-suffering. And that's what I love about church. It's not about you come here, you be perfect. It's about you come here, you make a bunch of mistakes and we grow together on how to follow the Lord. Amen? We need that grace, that work in our lives. I need it. I'm just not going to be able to pull it off. But you know what? God was preparing Peter over 10 years to be that messenger to those Gentiles, to be that messenger to those people. Remember Jesus said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. And those keys are successive. We see that it was Peter who was used instrumentally each time the gospel was preached, first to the Jews, then to the Samaritans, then to the Gentiles. And he kind of unlocked those doors, so to speak. It's amazing how God used Peter. And we, and we read last week about his heart and what he said and how he reacted when God wanted to do that. But first, he, he was given... Uh, the commission to preach to the Jews, and it was Israel. He was in Israel, right? And first he denied them, but then he was filled with the Spirit, and then he, it was just natural. He started preaching to these people, and all the verses started clicking, and there was this background and this history that all made sense because they were Jews. And he was preaching to people that could re- he could relate to and he, and he knew about. And it was a great 
revival. Obviously, thousands got saved there first few days and ever since. And then persecution happened. Stephen died. The persecution. And then people started getting scattered. And remember the opportunity there. The Hellenists, the people who were totally Jewish but had a Greek background, spoke Greek, they got spread out. And they started preaching the gospel only to Jews, mostly. So it's starting to, God's preparing Peter. He's preparing the church for this, this different way of doing things. Do you see it? Then Philip is down there as a result of that. He, he is talking to the Samaritans, these half-breeds, these people that were totally despicable to the Jew. Right? I know it's like half-breeds. It's not politically correct. But to the Jew, it was like, right? God, and we, what we realize is that later on in Scripture, uh, Jesus was, he had Gentile blood in him and he had prostitutes as, as, as great-great-grandmothers and all this type of stuff. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit further, right? But what we see is there was just this nationalistic animosity towards anybody who wasn't circumcised, who wasn't a Jew. And that was under the old covenant. Then Peter comes down and he speaks to the Samaritans when Philip has, has preached them. And then the Holy Spirit falls on these Samaritans. Another door unlocked. So Peter's heart is changing these Samaritans. Jesus walked down and hung out with the Samaritans. People would walk all the way around Samaria. I mean, they would just take the long, so they didn't have to go through those streets. Jesus went right through the middle of them. Peter was ministering to these people. And then we find in the end of, of Acts chapter uh, 9 and the beginning of Acts chapter 10, what happens? Who's Peter staying with? Simon the Tanner. The guy who handles dead animals. Who makes leather. Do you see the progression? What's he doing hanging out with this unclean trade in this unclean house? God's preparing him. He's speaking to him. God's using him the whole time. But he's changing him. He's changing his heart. He's, he's, he's waking him up to the fact of uh, to God's plan for Peter and for the world. And finally, it comes to this guy named Cornelius. Cornelius the centurion, charge of 100 people, Roman occupation guy. The opposite of what the Jews really want to talk to. Correct? But see, even God tailored Cornelius because he was a devout man. He followed Yahweh, their, king, their God. He did everything except for wasn't circumcised and didn't observe the Sabbath, probably. He gave to the poor. He prayed. There was everything about him that was Jewish-ish. But he wasn't. God's preparing him. He's preparing his heart. And he's leading him to this circumstance. I love that. Years of training. And then God gives him visions. He sat Simon the Tanner's house and three times the sheet comes down. Pops up, seizes all the animals and the voice two times, rise, kill and eat, Peter. Oh, not so, Lord. We're going to read about that. He's preparing him three times, three times. Then three guys show up at his door, Gentiles. 
And it says that he, he didn't even, he was just, while he, he was trying to comprehend the vision, three times God spoke to him. Three times the thing happened. Three, the threes are going crazy, speaking Peter's language, and he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. The guys show up at the door. He's still pondering. He, has a, he invites them in. He's spending a day walking with them to the next place. And then it wasn't until he enters the Gentile's house and he is there and he sees the people and he hears the story of the angel speaking to Cornelius who was praying at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. just so happens. That it clicks. And what does it say in verse 34 of chapter 10? Then Peter, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. God does not show favoritism. I now understand. After years of walking with the Lord, I now understand. I'm finally getting it. Anybody have those epiphanies every now and then? Read a scripture and then not understand what it's about. And years later, you're like, oh, yeah, that was big. This is worldwide vision. Peter's narrow vision for ministry was the Jews. God's vision was what? The world. The world. And yes, it was to be for the Jews first, and then from there, because of their rejection, to the Gentiles, the rest of the world. Paul explains that in Romans. But now, and so Peter, he's there, and he preaches the gospel. And these people, what happens to them when he preaches the gospel, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? While he was preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on this group of pagan Roman people who had a piety about them. And they were born again, saved. Different people, they're changed from the inside out. And Peter says, hey, what's keeping me from baptizing you guys? And, and, and he orders, he commands that they go and they baptize them. And he dunks them in the water and they're all part of the family now. They're part of the family Peter just following God's lead. What are you doing here, Lord? What's going on? Peter would have never, ever done that on his own volition, his own accord, his own will, his own plan, his own 10-year ministry, you know, whatever it is. That was God sovereignly jumping into Peter's life, working through everyday circumstances, supernaturally, naturally every day, and, and all these other things, visions, dreams, to bring about his will. God is so good. He's so faithful with his people, with his sheep. And I long for that. I long for that in my life, and I long for that in our church more and more every day. He's done it, but I want more. Amen? And how God is speaking to change us in, in the way we've been for the past 100 years or 110 years is not how God will want us to be to reach this generation, this culture. There are things that we hold on to. We don't move from the gospel. We don't move from the essentials, the right-hand doctrines. 
But I'd say everything else, we need to be open to the Spirit's leading. To the Spirit's leading. Not to Matt's leading. To the Spirit's leading. What is the Spirit saying? And how does He speak? How does He move in our church, in our day and age? A, the Word of God. We base what we do on the Word of God. B, I believe He speaks through you guys, the gifts of the Spirit. And I think He works through circumstances. And I think He works through visions. And I think He works through miracles. And I think He works through things being pulled together. I think He works just like this. It might not be that big and lovely every time. It might be subtle and quiet because He often works that way. But I'm anticipating looking for what God wants to do through us and in us. Aren't you? Don't you? I mean, isn't that the life? Isn't that what we all long for? You know, you watch television shows to, to see whatever plot will happen, and they're looking for twists. The Holy Spirit is a twist. I mean, He is amazing. And it's real. It's not made up. It's real. He is real. And He's working in His church, through His church, through people like Peter, people like me, people like you. But we've got a problem. Verse 11, the apostles and the brothers, uh, and the brothers, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had, all, had received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, everybody rejoiced. They were all happy about what God had done. What happened? Verse 3. Verse 2, and so Peter went to Jerusalem, and the circumcised believer, the Jews, criticized him. And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. What are you doing, Peter? You cannot do that, Peter. What are you doing? You are part of us. We're all together. You know, what are you doing? You're a Jew. They're a Gentile. You know how it works. You don't hang out with them. Why are you going and messing up our wonderful time here? Pretty hard situation for Peter. But notice they received the word of God. The Gentiles received the word of God. They didn't hear the word of God. They received the word of God. They heard it and they received it. They took it. What did Jesus say? He's going to have two different types of houses built, one on the sand, those who hear my words and do not do them. And then the storms came, and great was the destruction. And then the other kind was the person who actually heard my words and put them into practice, faith and works together, proof that one is saved, obedience to Jesus Christ's word, proof. And what the fruit, and what happened? The same thing happened, and they stood. They withstood it. And I believe that could look, you could look at that as judgment, in the end times, who were his and who were, wasn't. You can go to the sheep and the goats parable and talk about those, those who did and did not do what he said. That's not a salvation thing. That's not a work thing. The works are a product of faith. They prove what kind of tree you are. Amen? I'm a lemon tree. I'm a lemon tree. I'm a lemon tree. And there's no limits ever. No, you, well, maybe. Who knows, you know? The works, the good works, the obedience to Jesus is proof of what kind of tree we're grafted into, we're grafted into the vine, Jesus Christ. Amen? 
but we've got a problem. They criticized him because they were in the same mindset of Peter. And if Peter was there, he probably would have criticized whoever came back that was doing the same thing, don't you think? Why did you go into the house in the circuit and why did you eat with them? There's this Jewish mysticism about eating that they have a bowl in the Middle East of whatever the main dish is and they have bread and they'd all dip it together and they'd all eat it. And the idea is that the same food that's nourishing you is, mer- is nourishing me. And it's kind of like communion. There's this mystical union between whoever you're eating with. And so you don't eat with Gentiles. That's why in Matthew 9:11, what happens? Jesus is hanging out with uh, prostitutes. He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And the Pharisees come up and go, why is your teacher hanging out with these people? Why is he connecting? Why is he becoming one with them socially, all these other things? You can't do that. You've got to be separated from them. And Peter has this, and I don't know about you. How do you enjoy criticism? How would you respond? <laughs> well, don't you know that God has now accepted the Gentiles? See ya. I'm Peter. I got the keys. <laughs> Drops it, leaves, you know. No, that's not what he does. What is, how does he respond? Peter began, verse 4, and explained every to them precisely as it had happened. He walks them through it. He takes time. He understands where they are. Verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and, like a, and in a trance I saw a vision. I, I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. And I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, creepy crawly things, and birds of the air. And then I heard a voice telling me, Peter, get up and kill and eat, right? Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I replied, no way, Lord, surely not. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. So Peter's retelling what had already happened to this group. That he's, and, and, and the reason why it's in here again is because the Holy Spirit wants us to hear it again. All right? God repeats stuff that he wants us, wants us to know. And so surely not, nothing impure and clean is ever into my mouth. And I can imagine the people who are there with him going, that's right. That's right. I'm tracking with you. He's laying it out. Yeah. You know, like, no way, God, that, you're wrong. You know, and like, they're like, yeah, that's, that's wrong. We're all Jews here. That's not going to happen. And then what happened? The voice, verse 9, the voice from heaven a second time. So do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And Peter's relating to these guys that it happened three times. They all know Peter. They know what's going on with his life. They know Peter and three are a wonderful combination. Right? Denied him three times, was restored three times. A lot of three times with Peter. So Peter in his humility is like going, this is what happened. God said three times, guys. Three times, so heads up. And then it was pulled up to heaven again. Notice that God is leading Peter and he's leading the church. And how is he doing it? God, this is how God is teaching Peter how, and, and he, he lets him see something. He, shows, he gives him a vision. He, he, he teaches him visually. He lowers the animals in front of him and he sees it. And then what does he do? He speaks. He's talking to him in a voice. He's hearing it. And then he tells him to go do something. He says, I want you to rise, kill, and eat, Peter. 
So he sees it, he hears it, and now God tells him to do it. Anytime God's teaching you, he'll probably show it to you in some way or he'll speak it to you, and then he's going to actually have you do something about it. That's the way God is. Obedience, right? Rise, build. So he's, this is what's happening. And he does it in repetition. Three times. Like I said, how many times have, have you read a verse where God has told you something or whatever it might be, and you just don't get it? Just doesn't click. How many of you need it to be shown to you? I want to see it. How many of you want to hear it? I need to hear it. How many of you need to see it demonstrated? You know, I mean, you know, not just a picture. Yeah. Show me how to do it. Anytime I'm having a, a situation with people, I'll go, give me an example. I said, give me an example. I need to hear how that plays out. And that's how my mind works. Give me an example. Tell me what you're talking about. Show, use the word in a sentence. Give me context to help me understand. And Peter, it has to have it three times. You know, when we were coming up here, the Lord gave us verse, Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, feed on my faithfulness. You know, he gave us that three times, like more than three times. Are you sure, Lord? Trust in the Lord. That's me. Do good, dwell in the land, go to that land, feed on my faithfulness, I'll take care of you. He'd repeat that over and over and over to us. And he did it in miraculous ways, like Peter. He did it through music, you know, or through the radio. Remember I told you, God, we'd just gotten off the phone with the elders. Are you sure you want us to go, Lord? We prayed for a second, walked out of the room, and the, the Christian radio station was playing, and, oh, but sure, the verse of the day. Okay, Lord and reading, and popping up in scripture, and I forgot the other circumstances, but all these, God was triangulating on us to go, hey, got a plan for you, let's go, come on. You know, I talked to someone recently, God spoke to him through a song in the car. Pretty cool. I talked to, you know, well, Doug, sharing last week, remember, communion? sharing about the airplane and the, uh, talking to that lady and the odds of her being right next to him on the, on the seat on the plane are 100% when the Lord's working. God is working. He's speaking. He's moving. He shows. He creates circumstances. We just need to learn how he, how he speaks to us. Hey, Peter, 333. Hey, Matt. Hey, whoever else you are. My sheep know my voice. He wants to speak to you. And he is speaking. He speaks through his word. It's not going to contradict his word. Amen? That's how we know whether it's a ham sandwich or it's the Lord, you know, or a pizza or something, you know? Go back and say, is that so? Let's see. But he's speaking a voice from heaven a second time, right? He says this happened three times. In verse 11, right then, three men who had sent from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me, the Spirit told me. How did he know the Spirit told him? Pretty cool. Not very black and white in Scripture, is it, folks? The Spirit spoke. Now, we're told we're to test the spirits, right? That's what the gift of discernment is for. We go to to see if it was so. The Bereans did that. But the Spirit told me. I've told you times, I know it was the Lord. He said to go talk to that person across the room. And the reason why I know that that's the Lord, because that is not Matt. 
I'm not going to go share the gospel with that person. That is not something that is inside Matt. How many is that inside you? Just to like naturally want to do that. Okay, a few of you are weirdos, all right? <laughs> but I mean, to naturally, to naturally want to, you know, the Lord's speaking, go make yourself in an awkward situation. And then I end up going over there and it's, it's a God conversation. They were reading something spiritual and, you know, I mean, you, you don't know until you step, but you just know afterwards, you learn to discern the voice of the Lord, how he speaks to you. And it's a st- it requires a step of faith. And instantly in this, this moment, Peter knows, I just need to go without hesitation. God connected that with his heart. He knew God was speaking and it gave him the faith for the moment to take the step that God had called him to, to, to take. And he's relaying that to him. I heard the voice of the Spirit, verse 12. Don't have any hesitation about going with him. Then these six brothers also went with me. Wise. Peter, what does he do? I'm not going to get in trouble alone. I'm bringing along six of my friends, all Jews. They're coming with me. We're all going to go down together. Great to have people go with you. Wisdom. And we entered the, man, the man's house. We all did. Verse 13, and he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. And so first we see Cornelius in chapter 10 about how God speaks to him. And now Peter's reversing it from the other side. And he's talking about his angle of how it happened. And then he gets to Cornelius and Cornelius is explaining things and see how the God puts it back to back. Tells it back and forward. And so this miraculous thing, an angel showed up. And what does it say? Verse 13, showed us he'd seen an angel, send a Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. Verse 14, and he will bring you a message through which you and all your house will be saved. And this is how we know that righteous, good deeded, awesome, you know, model of morality, Cornelius was dead in his sins and not going to heaven, and alienated from God with all the great and wonderful things he was doing. His righteousness was his filthy rags before God. He needed the blood of Jesus Christ to wipe away all his sins. Brothers and sisters, you, do you have moral, good people around you? They need Jesus Christ. Do not be tricked or fooled into thinking that because of what, you know, the way we appear, that, that someone can reach the, the throne of the Lord and, and have salvation apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a lie. It's a lie. Cornelius needed the gospel. Verse 14, underline it. They needed the message. Cornelius sent this to him. He will bring you a message through which you and all your house will be saved. The gospel saves, not good deeds. Verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come at us at the beginning, Acts chapter 2. Now this is a Gentile Pentecost, so to speak. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. Remember John, the Lord said to uh, the group of disciples in John 14, 26, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to teach you all things and cause you to remember what I have told you. Remember that promise? The Holy Spirit is job to teach you all things and to help you remember what I've taught you. How many of you are nervous about going to share with people with the Lord? Underline this one, John 14, 26. That the Lord will teach you all things, and when it's time, he will cause you to remember what you need to know in that moment. Peter was in the moment. He remembered this verse, that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, so if you gave them, uh, if he gave them the same gift as us, 
who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could oppose God? Guys. <laughs> I mean, just look at what he did. What was I going to do? The Holy Spirit fell on them. They're born again. They're new believers. I wasn't going to... And they're like, what is their response? When they heard this, they ran away like the Pharisees. They stoned him with rocks because he was unclean. What did they do? They changed. They received. They, they, know, they just wanted what God, they thought God was doing. They desired him. And he changed their hearts. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then... God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life, even them. Is there anyone in your life that would be like you'd put an even before? God would save even them? Oh my gosh. I bet you someone was saying that about you. Or is saying that about you. Amen? About me. Ephesians 2.11. I want you to go there starting in verse 11. Read that later. But God's plan for the Gentiles. God's plan for the Gentiles. And Paul talks about it. So that's for extra credit. I don't have time to get into it right now. But Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. And you're going to see God's plan for the Gentiles. And that's his heart. Repentance to life for all people. Now, verse 19. Those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen in chapter 8. Remember that? They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. It's only going to a certain people group. And some of them, however, men from Cyprus and and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Uh Uh-oh. Breaking protocol. Fell with the Spirit. What are you doing? You can't do that. Telling them. The good news about the Lord Jesus. They're preaching the gospel. Preaching. You see that? And they're going to this place called Antioch, which was like Las Vegas. It, it was very much like Las Vegas. It was the third biggest city in the Roman Empire behind uh, Roman Alexandria. And the thing about this place is that they had this uh, temple built out in these laurel groves around five miles away from the city, built to a, a Daphne. And I don't know if you guys know all the mythology stuff, but basically Apollo liked Daphne and he was chasing her around and, you know, wanted to, you know, do the thing. And she said no, and she cried out to her dad right before she was going to be taken over. And what happened? He turned her into a laurel tree, right? And then he prom- and then Apollo, he still loved her as a tree for some reason. And then, like, he said, you'll never wither and die and all and this weird stuff, okay? So they created this temple... I know this is, take that and apply that this week. Have fun. So they take this temple, they put it in the middle of the woods. I mean, the fact that we'd be all gathered here this morning is funny. <laughs> but they take this temple, they, they build it, and so they have temple uh, prostitutes. And they act out this stuff, this priestess. They're acting out this stuff out there in the laurel trees. People come and they pay the money, and, and it's just this weird, weird culture. And gambling is rampant in this city. Things that are, it's just going, it's like Las Vegas. It's going crazy. And so much so that this this city, this horrible, horrible, godless city is, is, you know, they they use it as a byword, kind of like Corinth. That if people were 
living that kind of crazy lifestyle, they'd be identified as that city. They'd call them a name that is associated with that city. You know, oh, you're a Californian, and everybody kind of has an idea what that means, right? <laughs> that same idea, right? And this is the city that the gospel takes an amazing stronghold in where people are first called Christians. And it is the hub from which all the missionary journeys to the Gentile places take place. That really dark, dark city. Bright light. Boom. City on a hill. And so... They went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them about the good news of Jesus. And the Lord's hand, verse 21, was with them, and a great number of people believed. Do you see the repetition? A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That's that repetition in Genesis, about people coming to the Lord. What is the book of Acts about? The gospel being preached, people coming to the Lord. What is this church about? Gospel being preached, people coming to the Lord. That's what we're about. Amen? And how that happens is going to be colorful and fun. Different giftings, different people, different mix. Some people are watering, some people are sowing, some people are reaping. How it happens, but it's out there. When you go out the doors, you're entering your mission field. When you go to work, you're entering your mission field. Remember the police officer? Did you check that news out? A police officer is in trouble in, uh, I don't know, back east somewhere because while he, <laughs> he gave someone a ticket and then he gave him a track and like he's preaching Jesus to him, they didn't like it. And so they're like, they're taking him to court. <laughs> right on, brother. Keep going. Every single opportunity who cares about the regulations, who cares about the codes, preach Jesus. Overruled. Boom. You will be persecuted, Jesus said. Forget it. You're free. Higher authority. Anytime the Spirit says preach, share, go, you're free. Do it. That, that goes totally against culture. I know it. And I like it. Right? Okay, real quickly. Just so shine, shine the Lord in dark places. Uh, news, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. Uh-oh. And they sent Barnabas. To Antioch. They sent Barnabas, the encourager, to Antioch. Remember Barnabas back early in Acts? What did he do? He sold his property, gave his money to the poor, and they nicknamed him what? You're an son of an encourager. You guys, you know, you could call him a lot of other names, but he called him son of an encourager. That's the great thing, isn't it? Awesome. They send this guy, and we see what happens. He gets, he's progressing. The Lord is. He's been faithful to the local church and all these types of things. Now God's starting to use him in bigger ways. Like, We're going to send that guy down there to those Gentiles. We're going to go do that. And so they sent him down. Barnabas. And it says in Antioch, when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. We are saved by grace through faith and not of works. When he walked into Las Vegas and saw all these people who were formerly crazy give their hearts to the Lord, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He's like, wow, God, you are gracious. First of all, they're Gentiles, and secondly, they're berserk. And you saved them. He saw that grace. And he was glad. He 
He was happy. He wasn't like a Jonah who was like, oh gosh, you're going to save these guys? Got to go down here? Visit these Christians? Ugh. And what did he do? And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. His name was his gifting. Paul later in Romans 12, uh, 6 through 8, would talk about the gift of teaching. You got to talk about the gift of all these other things. But he say, if you're an encourager, encourage. And that's what he was. He was an encourager. And that word is also exhortation. We tend to think encourage is just all butterflies. Exhortation too. It's, it's speaking the truth and pushing people towards the Lord. It's encouraging them. You know, and I find that encouragers have a heart for people who are despondent and hurting. People who are alone and isolated. People who are on the outskirts. People who are like that. And, and I see those people operating in our church who just kind of go after uh, people. I think of a handful of women off the top of my head that are encouragers. Maria Melling, Christine, uh, Leatris. You know, I'm just, just off the top of my head, Susie. You know, you guys got some work to do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, guys, Doug, you're an encourager. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not head head of a representative, but the gift of encouragement is awesome. And what was he encouraging them? Hey, you stay tight with the Lord. They're in a carnal culture and they just came out of a difficult situation. The temptation was they were going to get persecuted and they were persecuted. It was to go back to what they knew. And Barnabas was down there going, no, you hang, you stay tight with the Lord like Daniel in chapter 1, verse 8 of Daniel, where he purposed in his heart not to eat of the king's delicacies. Here he was captive in a foreign land with all the king's food. And he's at this table uh, being one of the uh, captive like brainiacs that would be raised up within that culture. And it was every temptation to just go ahead and embrace the culture and forget it, forget who I was and forget my roots and all these types of things. And he, and he purposed in his heart, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay with the Lord. And that's what Barnabas was going. Don't let the world, don't be half-hearted with the Lord. Don't be like the kings of the book of Kings. It says, and they left these things in the high places. And they didn't, follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And there's just this half-hearted Christianity, this half-hearted following the Lord. And they just let the culture permeate them and they, and they sacrificed themselves to the world again. And they, they, were, they were lukewarm. And, they, and they, you know, we get, we get trapped in that. Anyone get trapped in that? Jesus said, repent, return, remember. Go to your first love. And this is Barnabas' message to me. He jumps in there, he starts encouraging him back to the Lord. Hey, you're new believers, come on. And so guess what? New believers, they need encouragement. 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 There's a lot of forces pulling on them. And the end, what does it say here? It says, uh, he encouraged them to remain true in the Lord with all their hearts. Verse 24, and he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. What do you know? Repeat it again. Encouragement brings people to the Lord through Barnabas, right? And then verse 25, then Barnabas went to Troas, uh, Tarsus sorry, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him. So what happens is Barnabas is in this culture He's encouraging these new believers and he sees, he's discerning, they need something. 
They need a Saul. What has Paul been doing for 10 years? He's been probably tent making in this town. He spent the first three years in Arabia. He's been sitting, maybe ministering all this stuff, but it says he grew. He's been growing. Paul, dude, you're like, your awesome guy on your team has been sitting for 10 years. God's been preparing him. And now he's calling him out. Don't think because you're sitting that God is, doesn't want to use you and hasn't called you. Let him, have, let him have some time to develop in you. But he looked for him, he found him, and he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and what? Taught. He taught them. Great numbers of people. So three things. Back up earlier in verse uh, 19. Those people who were from the dispersion, they went and preached. That's telling people about Jesus, the, 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 uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Barnabas comes and he encourages these new believers. And now they need to be taught. They need to be taught. They don't need just to be encouraged. Hey, stay with the Lord. How do I stay with the Lord? How does this work? And that is why God has raised up teachers within the body. To walk alongside, this is how it works. This is how we love. This is how we give. This is how we, you know, how, how we pray. This is how I am to go evangelize. This is how. And we need that in our church. Amen? And we need encouragers in our church, right? We have encouragers, which is great. But we need to be taught. How do we walk? How do we obey the commandments? For a whole year, Paul and this guy, they're getting together and they're teaching this church. They're teaching him to walk with the Lord. And that is what, what should happen often. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, and that just means little Christians. You're just like Jesus. And then you can imagine these Jesus people, which is another term for people who came to the Lord and people mocked him, calling him Jesus people. Back in the 70s, you remember that? 60s, 70s? But they were mocked. These people from Las Vegas too, whatever it was, uh, they came up to him and they said, man, you're a Christian, you're just like Jesus. That's where they got the name. It's only mentioned, I think, one time or a couple times in Scripture. Somehow it's stuck. Verse 27, in closing. Uh, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Wouldn't that be interesting if we had that in our church service? How would we, what would we do to him? You know? What's this church look like? What does our church look like? You want to be a biblical church? What does the scripture say? What did Jesus teach? What did Paul teach? I'm not saying we have people coming and predicting earthquakes and things like that, but who knows? But prophets came in, they predicted, and by the way, this happened during the reign of Claudius. Extra biblically, Josephus records it. Tacticus reports it of this great thing that happened actually during this time. So there was this great famine. And so what happened, the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas. They were preached to. They received the word of God. They were encouraged. They were taught. And it started to work out in how they lived. They loved their brothers. 
there was a need that was happening in the church. And how did they decided, the disciples decided, that's all the believers, disciples. They weren't the echelons, that's the apostles. The disciples, they decided among themselves, we're going to help these people. And they gave according to what was in their heart to help their brothers and sisters. It wasn't a, hey, you've got to give you know this, that to go help these people. It was free will. I'm deciding I'm going to give five bucks to help my friend who needs help. I'm going to go give whatever it was. And so there's just a practical outworking of love in their lives. And that's what that's about. It's a practical outworking of love. And you guys love people. And you love one another. And I love being a part of this church for that reason. And so, church, bottom line, we're leaving. What is God doing? What is God saying in our church? How we've always done things, where we're going. We need to be praying about this because there's a world that keeps changing around us. The gospel never changes. The message never changes, but how we do it and how we reach people, that is going to change. And it might tick some of us off because, what are you doing talking to Gentiles? We need to be praying and seeking the Lord about how to go about that as a church, individually, because that is our mission. Amen? Pray for the elders. We're praying, we're seeking God about this very thing. How do we reach people for Christ? How do we teach and encourage you? We need prayer. We need wisdom. So be praying for us. Amen. We're praying for you and we love you. And so if you need help, if you don't know how to do something, come to us. Chances are we got to seek the Lord for it too. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, awesome book of Acts and thank you for working on people like Peter and their hearts. And I thank you for working on people like us. Lord, if there's some kind of obstacle in our lives from seeing your vision the way that you've called it to be, if we've heard the verses but they haven't connected with our hearts, Lord, will you make it so? Lord, you love the world. Lord, not the world as I see it, but as you see it. And so God, put in us, fashion in us the eyes and the heart of Jesus that we can see the world with your eyes. And I thank you so much for this body that you've equipped and that you are working through. We pray that you'd raise up teachers, Lord, you'd raise up encouragers, Lord, that you would raise up uh, evangelists, Lord, and just uh, use us, Lord, to be salt and light more and more in this community, Lord. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.